This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello and welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walsh as it's also known. I'm Peter Gowers and this guy's name is Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Tired. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. It's December. We've, we've got through Christmas party season. It's just about time. To say, switch the lights off. Call the cops. Put on all those kilos we've <laughs> <Yeah>. lost. <laughs> Call all the cops. And, uh, yeah, relax for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a long year, I reckon, 2021. It has. It feels like it's been five years with the last year combined. Anyway, and from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Mr. Chris Walsh. Good evening and hello. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. Yeah, last time, uh, last time in the flesh, Chris. Yeah, for this year for a while. What's yeah. been happening around Clown Town this week? <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> you know, the what is it? The dogs bark, but the caravan rolls on. You know, that's <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now the circus keeps moving. Uh, <laughs> gets more ridiculous every week. Yeah. yeah. Is there yeah. anything good, Chris? Have you got anything good to say? <laughs> <laughs> is it all no, just bad? Yeah, like, you know, it's, this isn't like a thing. I don't get up every day and think, like, oh, I wonder what kind of bad stuff I can write. This is just what happens. These idiots are doing this. These clowns are doing this. And uh, I think the Territorians need to know about it. And then, we, you know, we get to the place where people say, you know, but what's going to happen? I mean, when, why are there no consequences for anything that happens here? And I don't know the answer to that. But I think that everybody's losing their... Um, faith in the institutions, and we talk about that a lot. We do. But, mm. I, but I think, you know, like, and we'll get into it later, but I think, like, Robin Lamley made an interesting point this week in the story, and we quoted her about how, um, you know, what, what's actually improved since the ICAC started? It appears that people, you know, confidence in the systems are, is actually weaker now than when the ICAC, before the ICAC came in, and under this government in particular, um, what has happened? Has anything gotten better? Can, is there any tangibles we can point to that things have improved? And yeah, I don't know. We'll get into some of the, the one of the stories here this week that was just shocking, and I can't believe that they even got away with this or even tried to get away with it. But that's what happens here. No consequences for anybody. So we keep going and we keep reporting on this stuff, and eventually it adds up. Eventually, mm. you know. And I and I, we've talked about this before, but I just remember during that last government before this terrible government, the last terrible government, the CLP one, where you know I have business people call me from Singapore and stuff, saying like we're not going to invest in the Northern Territory. We think it's corrupt. And that was like why the business community wanted the ICAC more than anything. And they told Gunner, bring in an ICAC because they wanted to restore that confidence that, you know, private investment that brings private investment and that thing that we're always talking about, how we don't have. So, um, yeah, so now you look at this now and you say, well, does this stuff start to add up and who's watching and who's keeping score and who's marking this down? And I think what's happened just in this last year, if we go back and look at it and that kind of you know, through that kind of prism, um, it's shocking. I don't know why anybody, why any private business would want to put in their own money into the NT and invest in the NT and show up because you can't be guaranteed that it, it would be a level playing field for mm -hmm. them coming in. And this government who brings in an ICAC to clean up corruption and yet nothing gets cleaned up and everything keeps happening the way it's always happened. 
Can I tell you something else as well? I just thought of it as you were talking. So we know how there's these buildings around Darwin, 12 buildings or something that were built and the engineer miscertified them, didn't certify them. I'm not. No, the Scott matter. Yeah, and we know what transfer these, slab. we generally know what the buildings are, right? Yeah. So I'm selling a two bedroom, uh, it's not a sales pitch by the way, but I'm selling a two bedroom unit in the city at the moment, which is, you know, not the flashes unit you're ever going to see. It needs a bit of work, but it's, it's not too bad. And the I had a buyer come and look at it during the week and he said, oh, after here I'm going to look at another uh, two-bedroom unit in a much newer building in much better condition. He said, can you tell me why it's $70,000 cheaper? And I said, well, tell me the building. And he did. And I said, yeah, because it's basically it should be slabbers. condemned. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't know. So forget yeah. the corruption that you're talking about. I mean, this is where the buyer beware system, it, it, you know, it, it's fraught because this fellow was about to title off and thought he was about to get the bargain of the century, but he's buying himself into a whole lot of problems. And I said, the reason it's 70 grand cheaper is because they find these units difficult to sell because of the, the smell that surrounds that particular building and others. Yeah, and then nobody talks about it, though. Yeah. Like, I guess, like, it just, industry it people sits know, in purgatory and yeah, yeah. it needs to be sorted out one way or the other. Yeah, and that's that whole transfer slab thing. John Scott was the guy. Yeah. I remember they found him to be either, I think it was negligent or incompetent, they said. Yeah. Star one engineer with all that, who was also involved in those Bellamac. Yeah. We were talking about not too long ago, too. So. And my understanding is he's bankrupt, but his insurance company is also no longer paying out on any claims against yeah, it was his work. Like, Is that it was, right? Yeah, there's, there's this like thing about when he was no longer registered and if so much right. time had lapsed and they yeah. can't do anything, they can't actually do anything. Like, I think he ended up being charged $6,000. Right. Six thousand. Wow. That's it for wow. all of this turmoil that he's caused for everybody yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, hey, that's another Dan Darwin, huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's Clown get, in, let's get, town, let's get into the stories. Um, uh, Minister Madison labels COVID-19 border rules backflip modest changes. Opposition calls it desperation. What's going on here, Chris? Yeah, well, we remember this last week, um, this story. Well, the, the, the government came out. I think it was Michael Gunner before he went on holidays. He uh, came out and he said, oh, yeah, here's your Christmas present. And I think that's how like reporters were reporting it, right? Like as of December 20th. We're getting rid of these hotspot zones, and uh, everyone can come in. But then, when you when you read further, you realize that well, what he was saying was that people, so vaccinated people from around the country, can fly into Darwin, or they can fly into the Northern Territory, but they obligated to stay in places that have that are considered high vaccination zones. So you're looking at Darwin, Alice Springs, and Catherine, essentially, and. Um, so they don't have to quarantine as such. They just yeah. have to stay in those areas. For 14 days. For 14 days. So they can't go out anywhere into right. the wider, like, so you're expecting someone to come to Darwin for 14 days and not go to Litchfield or not go. But didn't we see these figures yesterday quoting 91.5%? Oh, no one knows what the hell I mean, what is, is going on there? Yeah. We don't know because the, 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 the NT, the Gunner government, are using different figures than what the federal government. They're counting everybody who's been here or who's been vaccinated here, but some of those people are from interstate. Yeah. And he's not. And, and I'm pretty sure that I gave my address when I went and got the vaccination. 
Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't oh, know yeah. how they can't keep track of people's address, and then you find yeah. out exactly how many. Anyway, so look, he 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 says this, and this is kind of the the small print on it all is that wait a second, no one can leave these high vac zones, which are the major urban areas. Uh, people were furious. I mean, the industry, the tourism industry, came yeah. out straight away swinging, saying, I "Look, bet. we want sensible solutions. You can't do this. We've already been crippled, and now you know you're burying us." Uh, this went on for some reason. He allowed this to continue for a week now of mm -hmm. just, you know, every day on the talkback radio stuff, people were calling and upset. You had a, an issue with like boarding school students not being allowed to go back oh, yeah, to their places of residence, their homes for Christmas. Um, you has, had other he hasn't people, canceled Christmas again, has he? Well, pretty much. And then he flies off to, uh, to Cairns. Exotic locations? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was uh, another drama too, wasn't it? That uh, going to Cairns. It was just such a bizarre thing. Because uh, I read, I read the, that he was going there to to um, collect his child. Uh, and, and then someone apparently saw him someone, in Cairns, uh, and then there was a big drama about that. Why? Why was there a drama about like, that? I'm not really sure. I think it's because the office, his office, wasn't clear when they told the right, anti-news right. about his plans, and they said he was going to collect his child, and then they wrote that, and then I think people got upset. Why are you mentioning the chief minister's child? And why are you phrasing it like that to collect the child? <laughs> this is clearly sounds, a guy. Sounds like an access visit, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's what I said. Oh, yeah. Christy and Michael in trouble here. <laughs> this is she hiding out in Queensland. Yeah. I don't know. Like, look, that, that was a joke. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. They just weren't up front. They've done that before his office where they don't actually say what he's doing when it's just simpler to just say, look, he's taking eight days. He needs a break. Um, he's going to go to Queensland. He's going to – with his family, he's going to come back. Uh, I think it, a lot of that comes from the hang-up from last year when he told everybody to stay at home and yeah, then he went to and Queensland. Then, and, and then he that, went that's, back to Queensland. That's yeah. uh, been a problem, I History think. repeating itself. Isn't yeah, it? so uh, th this year he wants to go there before Christmas and then come back. So anyway, but meanwhile, he's flying out of here when he's left everybody high and dry and he's got like all of these peak industry bodies just furious, like everybody. Everybody you can think of is pissed off about this. The businesses, I think you had uh, Jimmy, you know, at Hanuman there saying the yeah. other day he's going to have to close for Christmas for the first time because all these tourists have canceled their trips because if they can't leave Darwin, oh, yeah. they're not coming to Darwin. They want to go to other places. So, but do, I thought just, this. I thought the wet season was the quietest time of the year. It is. So, so well, but. What, What's what you going do, on? There is an influx of people that come up for Christmas uh, to see family and that, and then and I think after this past last year and this year, yeah. I think there's people traveling trying to go wherever, see loved ones, and all that. If thing you come to Darwin, really they're going to want to go to Kakadu and they're going to want to go to in in this heat. Yeah, well, they yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we understand it, right? But you know, if they're going to come up from down south, they're going to get their money's worth, and they'll just whinge about how it was forty-eight degrees for the next twenty years, and then never come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good and for they, tourism. Yeah, and they would be ripped off by yeah, gouged, price gouged, and stuff. But anyway. Um, so, but just the heat that he's under, I mean, the amount of pressure that, that everybody's just laying on him, you've got to change this. We cannot operate like this. Like you're killing industry, you're killing everybody. And he's gone and, he, and he's just not around. So today now, we're doing this on the Wednesday evening. So uh, this afternoon, uh, Deputy Chief Minister, Acting Chief Minister would be Nicole Madison came out and, and did finally announce that there'd be some changes. Interesting that the health minister didn't do it, but she's under a little bit of pressure too, and you can just see how Could they. Kinda, she's been on there the last couple of days. She's been out, but today 
when these mm. stories are coming out about what happened with her. Mm. Mm. She's nowhere to be found. So Madison comes out, and what what she says now is that under you know after this this pressure, this criticism, and then this out- outrage mm. from people that they are now they will change the rules. Now we're, we're only days away from the twentieth. And at the last minute here, they decide, okay, well, and they're scrambling, clearly. I think uh, David would have listened into this press conference today, and he said the, the stuff's not up on their website, the changes. So clearly they were doing this last minute. On to, the run. Policy yeah. on the run. Yeah, nothing new there. But uh, so what What this is going to be now, I guess, we're still, you still got to read the fine print on it all, right? But uh, she's saying basically people arriving from interstate will no longer be forced to remain in Darwin, Catherine, or Alice Springs for 14 days. Instead, a list of 66 banned remote communities has been created. So you can go to the parks, uh, <laughs> but you cannot go to some of these remote communities. Remote communities where fewer than 80% of eligible residents are fully vaccinated. Yeah. So, and they've got lists and you can go through, I don't know, they've got these things uh, set up. You wouldn't be allowed to go to a lot of those communities anyway, would you? Don't yeah, you have to have permits so to go to them? Yeah, usually, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah so a bit of a backflip here um yeah the, the, you know trying to uh, appease everybody the weird thing was how they kind of downplayed this like it was clear that that was that it was a big issue and it was for the entire yeah. week but when when madison got up and told the press conference that the changes were coming she said oh they're just some modest changes that we've you know after discussions with industry groups we made some modest changes i mean they've completely changed yeah, the yeah. whole thing yeah so and that mod- is modestly changed the whole document yeah and it, yeah. But, but and then she said oh after discussions with industry groups and you know people were saying well why didn't you talk to them in the first place why didn't you talk to anybody in the first place before <laughs> Due announcing to recent events yeah so yeah that's um that's what happened uh then you had the clp come out and really nail them on that saying look calling them modest these changes is just a desperate attempt by labor to minimize how big a blunder the initial plan was. It's uh, Mary Claire Boothby. Uh, she is the spokesman for small businesses with CLP opposition. Uh, if the Gunner government had bothered consulting, um, you know, farmers, hospitality, tourism sector, boarding students, their families before last week's announcement, they wouldn't have to concede that it totally stuffed this up. So, and then they're asking, look, what, was the original post-December 20th plan the best health advice, or was it poor policy from an incompetent chief minister who apparently cares more about scheduling major announcements around his annual leave than consulting with territorians? So a few Sounds accurate. jabs in there, <laughs> to use Gunnar's favorite. <laughs> was, was jab, jab, right hook, wasn't it? I like yeah. it. So, um, yeah, so here we are now. This things have changed. We're still, like I said, going through the fine print to figure out exactly how this is all going to work. But, uh, yeah, certainly these tests will be all over the place, the PCR tests that you have to get on the way in, and then um, the first three days, and then again on day six. And if you can't do that, there's all this list of things you need to go through uh, to be here. But, yeah, and we'll we'll hear from industry tomorrow, I'm sure, about whether or not yes. this is um, exactly what they were looking for. You know, you got to find that balance in there for sure. But it seems we're getting to this point where um, we got to look at how this is all done now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's different than what it was six months ago. So, absolutely. Anyway, yep. Let's- well, um, 
Let's move from uh, one scandal to another. That wasn't much of a scandal, but uh, the calls for the health minister to resign uh, are running loud and strong as a $4.3 million consultancy deal is sent to ICAC with the uh, headline, A Scam of Grand Proportions, describing this. Yeah. Well, so that was... um that was how Robin Lamley, the independent MLA, described this whole thing. Uh, this, I, yeah, a scam. It's a, a scandal. I mean, it's the, you've got the Department of Health here uh, lying to the public, breaching their own procurement rules. Uh, you've got the health minister, Natasha Files herself, like I said, who was somehow absent today. She's been called out here. There's now evidence that she knowingly lied to the public <laughs> about how this consultancy contract was was awarded. And now we go back, and I think that we had talked about this probably about a year ago, guys, about this. If you recall, um, it started to come out about a year ago, and it was that Ernst & Young uh, had been awarded this it was about five hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollar contract. They said, or five eighty-three, um, to review the NT government's COVID response, and they were awarded that in April of twenty twenty. So, like, not even long after the yeah. COVID response yeah. happened, but they then give them this contract, and we all think it's about five hundred fifty thousand bucks. Let's say, uh, come to find out that that wasn't the truth either. That it was much more than that. But what had happened here was it was actually a seven hundred thousand dollar contract. Uh, for them to review the government's COVID-19 response. But then with through variations that were applied, it, it ballooned to $4.3 million. Wow. How does that actually happen? I mean, that's a lot of money. How does that actually yeah. happen without any further scrutiny? I mean, the government's obviously borrowing the money to do this. How does yeah. it happen? Just look. So the auditor general looks at it. So when we when we start reporting on and we're questioning this, and the opposition was coming us saying, "What is this? This is, it seems to keep growing." But they didn't know. We didn't know it was four point three million until yeah, yeah. I wrote this story the other day, and the auditor general did a report. And again, she didn't name Ernst and Young. It was we were able to confirm that through other ways and sources that that it was Ernst and Young, and that it was this in fact contract. People were thinking it was maybe some other contract. Um, so what she found, though, in this whole thing was that, yeah, these variations were applied. So even when it was like 550 or whatever, there was $150,000 variation put in that brought it up to 700. And you had this go on, and I think it was between 140,000 and 1.5 million. So they would just change the scope of the project and not put it back out to tender. Just say, yeah, here, you know, the, she had reviewed six. So they did it through six different procurement activities, she called them. Um, and that was between the department and Ernst and Young found the department did not comply in all material respects with the procurement rules. Um, she found problems with how the department handled the contracts, including the contract management staff weren't trained properly. Uh, the contractor performance reports were not undertaken that the contracts were awarded without proper review. So just given and not, not followed up on that standard terms and conditions of the contracts were not issued the price negotiations did not occur, and that some of the contracts were not properly properly disclosed. So somehow they were like they were able to give this money to a consulting company and not even disclose what they were doing. She also found the conflicts of interest. So either actual potential or perceived, she said, were not clearly documented, and the conflicts of interest declarations were not filed by everyone involved in the procurement process and subsequent 
contract management. So, you know, one of the issues that was raised back then was the relationship between Ernst and Young. And we tried to ask them questions about this and Michael Tennant and, uh, and the government. So you remember Michael Tennant was the former chief executive of the Department of Business, who he left in 2019 and 2020. He is somehow he's involved with Ernst and Young. And at this point, they get this contract to review the COVID response. Now, what we knew too at the time was that it had expanded greatly. And this is why everyone wanted the cost because it, it came to encompass a complete restructure of the entire Northern Territory health system. So an amalgamation of the central health service and top end health service into this one mega entity. And uh, for some reason, the guy who was overseeing that and got that contract so public funds, but to a private company was the former chief executive of the Department of Business, which a lot of people thought was a little too cozy a relationship there. I mean, here he is running a department one day, the next day he's in private business. And now we know that he's gotten a $4.3 million contract ultimately for them that started off with nothing and that nobody else could tender for. The other part of this is that it did not go to public tender. And the auditor general found that that it should have that there were that it shouldn't have varied, varied like that. Now we get back to one of those one of the big issues here, which was at the time last December uh, when it first was coming out, the department said, "Oh, we did it through direct contracting." And under the Emergency Management Act, I knew they'd pull that out. Yeah, we're allowed to give it to whoever we want. We didn't have to go to the public tender process. Well, now. Natasha File said something similar around April, but let's stick with this. They said it was direct contracting. It was permitted under the Emergency Management Act. Now, Julie Crisp, the Auditor General, in her report that was just tabled, found that that was not true. Right. So she found that, quote, neither the procurement plan nor the chief executive's memorandum refer to the procurement being undertaken under the exemption provided by emergency exemptions. She wrote, the criteria for the awarding of the contract is direct contracting was not met by the agency. So they've lied. They've said that they could do this under these emergency management powers they had, and that she's found that that is just not true. Natasha Files refused uh, in April, I think was the last time that this came up of this year. She was asked about this contract. Will you release the full cost? Will you tell us what happened? What's going on? Where is it even at right now? Where is everything, yeah. all the work that's being done for this? She said, no. She's not going to public release it. She mentioned something about cabinet and confidence, but she also repeated the line and she called it that an emergency procurement exemption was used. Now we know from the auditor general, that's not true. Yeah. That is not what happened here in this case. So I don't know who made up this lie. If it came from the chief executive's office, if it came from the minister's office, but everybody perpetuated it along the way. And anytime they were questioned about how this contract it was like it was a secret contract in that way that we didn't know how they were awarded it, what exactly they were mm -hmm. doing with it, how the how how much it cost. And she swore to it that we'll never find out last April saying, you know, it was cabinet confidence. We don't have to release that. You're never gonna know. Well, now we know. And the way around that, I guess, is that the Auditor General puts it out there yeah. with enough breadcrumbs um for us to to figure yeah, out i mean yeah. she doesn't name ernst and young or say what this is but there's enough there that we can yeah, match yeah. it up with yeah. other uh, tenders that went out and other yeah. sources and um we can now sh hold it up to natasha files and say you lied to the public and not yeah. only that your department breached so many procurement rules and it was like 42 all in 
uh, this is completely unacceptable. Like, you know, somebody's somebody's got to be sacked over this. But yeah. I think when you're getting up into the millions of dollars range like that, that, that there's got to be charges. That there's got to be a full investigation into this. Yeah. So I was going to yeah, ask Leon. Um, did you work for Ensign Young? I did. You did, right? So, and and I'm understanding what you do now. If you're asked to do a job, you need to quote for that job, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were, uh, let's use this as an example, if you were asked to look at this government department and rearrange it or whatever it is, is it is it possible that your quote could end up costing six times the actual original, well, like it, your fee could charge six times the original quote? It could definitely be possible. It right. depends on how the scope of the job changes. Yeah. Because you, you could go in there, and it doesn't matter whether it's Ernst & Young or any other firm for that yeah. matter, right, or law firm or anything like that. I mean, if you are asked to quote for something yeah. based on certain specifications, I mean, it's the same in your business or any other business, right? You say, mm-hmm. right, oh, okay, we can do this, you know, for, for, for these things. This is how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Just like a plumber would. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then you go in there and they say, oh, and then you say, oh, actually, you know what? Because you also look at this and look at that and you go, okay, well, that's really outside the scope of the job. Yeah. So I'm going to need to price that separately. Mm. There's no reason why yeah. it couldn't blow out yeah. to the way it has but based on the on the scope changing. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that was it. And that's what the Auditor General found, that the significant number of high-value variations is indicative that the scope of works was not well-considered or well-defined at the outset. At the start, mm. yeah. So they had no idea what they were doing. They yeah. just brought them in and said, oh, and also do this and also do this. Yes. I mean, one of the things that we found in there was uh, interpatient transfer analysis between RDH and yeah. the Palmerston, Palmerston Hospital. Like, yeah. they were just throwing everything in and saying, do yeah, this, yeah. do that, and not going to public tender. Yeah. So no one else had a way to get in on this, yeah. and it just kept increasing and increasing. And then you had undeclared conflicts of interest. Clearly, yeah. you've had people who weren't qualified, who weren't trained properly, she said, which always seems to be their, yeah. their way out of things the, here. People claim ignorance. And The biggest concern, I reckon, though, is in the last six months, this has to have been the, the – fourth or fifth or more times that we've talked about these procurement mm. uh, rules and regulations just being completely flouted. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And look, this is so, – so that was the story yesterday. We got to, to, to kind of reveal that and show that it was Ernst & Young and that this is a contract that we've all had questions about for a year. This is what's actually gone on. So that story came out now today, this morning on Wednesday morning, we had another story where we went to the CLP opposition and to Robin Lamley about this. And I mean, what, what do you guys make of this? You've seen the report, you've seen our report, you've seen the Auditor General's report, what's going on. And this is what I thought was interesting, Pete, was that, you know, your comment there. Um, Robin Lamley said this, she said, head should roll, but I'm not holding my breath. Right, and we yeah. get into what I was talking about a bit earlier. Now, she said, uh, you know, she asked the question like we all do: How does a contract balloon from seven hundred k to more than four point three million with variations and not follow the legal procurement process? This looks like a scam of grand proportions. Head should definitely roll, not hold my breath. ICAC was established in the NT to stop this kind of systemic abuse of power and position and misconduct within government. She said, ironically. The integrity of government has deteriorated since the inception of ICAC under the Gunner government. Mm, so strong words. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think this is what 
I think this is what the public's feeling at this point, too, is that this stuff just continues to be reported by us. I and mean, we're the only ones, it seems. But we continue to expose this stuff. And people say, well, what's going to happen? Like, you need, there needs to be these consequences. Like, it's so important in a jurisdiction that, that not only, you know, with the justice being seen to be done, but for their own integrity, for their own, for the people's confidence in the institutions moving forward, that, that something needs to be seen to have happened and that there needs to be consequences when the auditor general finds a big breach like this. And that just doesn't seem to happen in this place no. so and we're at a point here you know where where the icac michael rich has made it clear that he doesn't comment on on what he might be investigating we know that that robin lamley and the clp referred that to him this week i would suspect that the auditor general and probably some other people have referred it before so i think he's well aware of this particular matter um but remember that he had said in the general report that uh, some things he might not find important enough yeah and that he's just going to hand it back to the department to look at it. Now, you can't do that on something like this, where this is so systemic in here, to give it back to the yeah, department yeah. that has fostered that culture of, of, of corruption, of whatever this is, of, of incompetence. You know, it's a mix of everything in here. And then you've got people hiding things. They're not trained, but then they're also hiding things. So how he thinks that a department i mean the public just doesn't have any faith in in the department to investigate itself for something like this so mm. i don't know how he restores this faith this trust uh and 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 clearly the government doesn't want to do it like when did natasha files do anything you know with, as a leader here i you know i'm thinking about that christmas tree debacle a year ago too <laughs> I mean, how much was it for that goddamn tree? Like mm. thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to rent a Christmas tree that was in the thing. And why isn't somebody sacked over that? If your budget tightening at that time, the, yeah. you know, you're telling the public servants to take a wage freeze yep. and then you're spending 10,000 bucks on a tree or whatever it was. Yeah. Somebody's got to be sacked over that. Like you got to start, you got to start showing consequences. Well, it's actually easier to be sacked for not getting vaccinated than it is yeah. for doing a lots of other things. For doing yeah. the wrong thing. In yeah. theory, anyway. Do we know that they've actually been sacked yet? I don't know. Did you, Chris, do you know? All of those? Yeah, look, that's... The 2,000 yeah, that became 500? Yeah. The 2,500 that became 400. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. With the Christmas um, bonuses from all the money they're saving? Yeah, because there were a lot of people, that's right, who were able to take leave at that time. So right. I don't think that the real cuts have come in just yet until they're back. So, Well, I, I've got a couple of questions in relation to this story. And yeah. one is the initial um, engagement for the 530-odd thousand mm. that you were talking about, was that... Was that done properly? Do you know if that part of it was done no, so properly? So that was the part that raised people's suspicions right away was that it didn't go to public tender. Right. So they just went to Ernst & Young directly and said, here, you can do this. Now, I think it was, if it's over 100,000, you can't do that. Okay. And that's what she found that, yeah, that early on, that one was questionable. And I think that's when everybody started saying, well, wait a second, you know, they also employ this former a high-flying chief executive who was in tight with all of the major players in the anti-government. Yeah. So was this some sort of favoritism that happened here? Uh, how did this happen, and where where what where's that going right now? What's the cost to taxpayers of this, and what are we getting for that? Yeah. And so now we have the answer. But yeah, at first it was it was very strange. Right, because the question that I had was if the first part of it was done properly, and you're saying that it wasn't, or at least that the report says that it wasn't. Yeah. If it was done properly and then the scope of work changes to take it over a certain threshold, 
then it's got to go out to tender. Is that is that yeah, how it works? At some point, it would it would seem that those things. When, when That's awkward, isn't it? Hi, yeah. You sort of get in there to start doing the work, and all of a sudden the scope changes. You put in an additional quote, and then it's like, oh no, no, no we've got to go out to tender for this. Yeah. It's I don't know. Yeah, we need to win. Someone needs to tell us exactly how this works. How the tendering process works. Yeah, I guess it would be the ICAC. But based on the um, responses from last time, they don't actually know themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, and they're making this up as they go sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. It's clear and in a lot of other things. I reckon you get one free pass for other staff weren't trained properly. Do you remember yeah. the last response to how that thing – Whatever, I don't know. Department achievement Minister, yeah, that one. What, the, yeah, whichever the one, the, and the procurement process, well, they didn't understand it properly. I reckon you get one free pass for that, and yeah. beyond that, you cannot use that as an excuse yeah. ever again. No, and I yeah. think the amount of these that have been reported, if they're not all back in the boardroom getting trained and having professionals come in and train them how to do a tender properly, like, yeah. because, yeah, this has just gone on for too long, and it's unacceptable, that, that excuse. Absolutely. Yeah. The second issue goes to, like, you know, top-level public servants that leave the public service and go into the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's a rule with lobbyists or something that if you're in government, you, you can't. Uh, is it? Or maybe I'm just conflating. No, you're right. With, Federal, federally, you can't yeah. be in government and then go work for a lobby group. Right. Uh, yeah, there has to be a cooling right. off period of a few years. And, I, and yeah. I wonder whether the same thing, uh, you know, ought to apply to public servants because otherwise the the, the, the perception of, of favoritism or, or you know or the fact that you've got a, a you know a leg in the door because of your previous connections is really quite strong isn't it yeah absolutely i think that's it the perception is everything in that when you're dealing with millions of dollars of taxpayer money to make sure that it's expended in the proper way and then you're having that now that's one of the questions that i'd like to ask michael Tennant, but he didn't return my calls but like look you ran a department here what I mean, how how would you feel if you were the chief executive and you saw what was happening with these variations being done? I mean, surely you knew, and you're yeah. with your experience in the public service, that this isn't right yeah. and this shouldn't be happening. I mean, how how would you? How did you just sit back and not say anything, or did you say something about this as it was happening? Mm. And he didn't respond to my questions, so mm. I don't know. And even Ernst and Young have tried to give them an opportunity to respond, but they didn't take us up on that either. Right. right. Interesting. It's, uh, you know, it's got to the point, though, now where you're looking at that. Now, the chief executive, we, we had a new chief executive come in in June in the Department of Health, uh, Frank Daly. And remember, he did this he did this bizarre internal email that we got that we thought was bizarre at the time about conflicts of interest to make sure you fill them out and all of this stuff and know everything that you're doing. Um if you're going to be involved in procurements in the department and, and and seriously highlighting this conflict of interest thing, well, now we know what he was talking about. Clearly, he had seen this report. Hmm. Um, now, Catherine Stoddard was the outgoing chief executive. She left in February of this year and announced her retirement or resignation at that time. So that would have been the time that name? there was some big variations done. Stoddard, S-T-O-D-D-A-R-T. I think it was. And Daly took over. Yeah. They're two big Darwin names, aren't they? Stoddart and Daly. Yeah, neither one of them are from here. Right. <laughs> like Stoddard was wow. from the UK. Right. And she only came here for like two years and got back on the plane and went back. Wow. I don't remember. Well, probably not even two years. But anyway, look. I'm Imagine not, opting to go back to the UK instead of staying here. Yeah, putting the blame on anybody here, but any particular person. I think this is like clearly systemic and all throughout this whole thing Mm. so but look ultimately somebody does have to take responsibility in this and the minister we get back to her 
uh, uh, misleading the public. And I would just say flat out lying to them. I mean, she knew that this didn't happen like this, that it wasn't through these emergency powers that they had, that they had done yeah. this through other means and just did and continued to do what they do want in she, violation of the procurement rule. And if she didn't know, that's even worse, right? Yeah. Well, and this is what this woman happens happens to her a lot, I guess. Uh, the, the, anyway, the, the CLP really went after her today and straight out and saying, you know, Natasha Files has failed at every turn. Now they brought up the crisis at RDH that has seen, um, you know, those code yellows and the surgeries canceled. Uh, they brought up the slow vaccine rollout in remote communities that was an issue. Uh, and now this about uh, misleading territorians. Natasha Files has failed at every turn, said uh, health spokesman Bill Yan. Will she finally resign as the territory's worst health minister? Uh, you know, he gets back into this for a government that came to power on a platform of openness and transparency. Labor has absolutely failed. The fact they attempted to conceal this report and a major cost blowout under the cover of COVID is outrageous and begs the question, what else are they hiding? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, what else are they? I mean, they're hiding other procurement scams like this as mm. well. We know that. So, you know, how many? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. I feel like the worst part of it, too, is that they're a six-year government. You know, if they're in their first 12 months, you might be able to dismiss some of this as, you know, first-year blues type thing. But, <laughs> you know, they've, they've won two elections. They've been there for a long time. If they don't know the process by now, then... well. Yeah, MP, I want to go. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because this is a problem that this government, I think, has always had from the beginning. The Michael Gunner, Natasha Files, and Nicole Madison, the leadership team in the Labor Caucus, they have no experience in anything. They, 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 like Madison was the advisor, Gunner was the advisor, Fran Files was the swim teacher. I think she got involved somehow <laughs> in the party. And, and it's now, you know, now they're the leadership team running this place. Now, what they seem to have done when they came in, and we can back this up even from the beginning with the Dan Murphy stuff and all that, is that they sat back. They did not lead when they needed to lead. And they instead let the public service and the chief executives of the departments, and not even only the chief executives, but other people in those departments underneath them, tell them what to do. They signed off on everything. They just took their advice. They did not lead. And now this is all blowing up in their face. And when you're the minister, you are, the buck does stop yeah. with you. And when, when your people are now doing this, it's costing taxpayers millions of dollars. It's just gone unchecked and has violated prop rules in place to prevent this. Mm. And it happens under your watch. And then I don't think that that call for resignation is out of line. I think that that we're at this point where we've already seen Nicole Madison and Treasury fail so badly that she had to be out of there. I mean, she mm -hmm. was signing off on $200 million of public funds, like I said before, without even thinking or asking any questions because somebody told her to do it. And, and Gunner, I mean, he's, of course, he's, remember, he always says he doesn't know anything that's going on. He didn't know <laughs> that his chief of staff was involved with the turf club and doing all these deals and stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it just exposes how weak that leadership team is and how they continue to try and avoid responsibility by saying stuff like, oh, we didn't know that they were doing this stuff. Well, you're letting them run this place and you're not actually doing your job. Your job is to lead here and you're not doing that. Mm. And I don't know how much, I don't know how many more examples we need before something gives here. I mean, even the, the, the CLP before knew to, how to sack people to maintain the integrity of the office. These guys just have no respect for the office, clearly. You know, I know we've said this before on mm. here, but when you start to see this stuff continually happen and nobody accept any responsibility, it, it points to a systemic issue and a broader issue. And in this case, it's that lack of leadership. Yeah. Mm.
Well said. All right, mate. Uh, on that subject of leadership, 33 NT police officers have left the force in just two months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Why? Why has that happened? They're the best of the best, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, and in short, why did that happen? Yeah, because of leadership or lack of leadership <laughs> again. Uh, I don't know how, like I said before, Chaga, I don't know how he even begins to try and repair what's happened under his watch here, but this continues. Look, this is still putting it on pace to be, you know, with the double attrition rate from this year, from last financial year, where it doubled. It went, well, it went from 4.5% to 8.5%. Gosh. Over a year, the attrition mm, rate. Like, wow. they're just leaving in droves. Yep. Um, this is just another example. So this was 33 uh, police. I think it was from the middle of September to the middle of November and uh, showed all of these positions had either resigned or retired. Uh, four sergeants. Yeah. It's all kinds of stuff. Nine senior constables, six constables, nine auxiliary officers, one Aboriginal community police officer and one recruit just left their jobs. Uh, and again, you know, we get back to one that would fall in there that we knew well, um, and that's Narelle Beer, of course, the assistant commissioner who left, who was very highly respected, and as we talked about her qualifications, to probably the most qualified person in there. Got to get rid of her then. Yeah. <laughs> so she was gone, and of course, she had uh, cited alleged bullying, and uh, sources close to her Jeez. had told us that. Yet she also felt used by the executive over the charging of the Rolf matter. And it all goes back to that, too. I mean, a lot of it does. Yeah. A lot of it does. I can't say all of it does because, you know, you, you again, you talk, you're looking at a failure of leadership. I mean, this is like trial by fire that he came in on, Chalker, I mean, with this incident that happened. But it was all about how he led from that point on, and he's failed miserably. And they're telling him that. And he's not getting the message, so they're leaving. <laughs> And yeah. they're just sending the message even louder. We don't want to work with you. And you remember, we just talked last week about um, the, the senior sergeant there, Leith Phillips, down in Alice Springs. And remember his, oh, uh, his letter? His fire and blaze of glory. Yeah. That he out with his letter to. Dear sir, yeah. and I only use this honorific <laughs> for the respect I have for the office, not the person in it, which I think we're all guilty of. Not a great of. start, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling like now yeah. that that's it. We still try to respect the office. But the people in these offices are failing and not doing their jobs properly. So how do you continue to respect the office? I mean, this is like just a thing in politics. That needs to come first and you resign. People get out. Anyway, they're not going to do this. Don't ever expect, uh, especially Shocker here, to resign for anything. Though, I mean, let's see what happens with the Rolf trial and how that all pan pans out because he's heavily involved in that and mm -hmm. um, what's gone on there. And we've reported on all that before. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, how how do you go and build that morale back? Uh, a good leader could do that, a good leader, but a good leader wouldn't let it get to the point that it's at now. So that's mm. the challenge that Chalker has. I don't see how it comes back. I think this is just too far gone. There's no way to, to restore that morale or get the confidence of his own force back. And, you oh, know, yeah. Yeah. You, you got the other joker running around. Remember Small Page here um, with his murder, cop, murder comment about what a group of cops should be. <laughs> um, and then remember the, 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 the chalker didn't take any disciplinary action against that because he said everyone should just love one another. All right. And that was his thing. Love one another. 
Like yeah. it was, if you guys watched. As uh, I have loved you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember, like, uh, Rest of Development, I love that show. And yes. Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Job, that was his new thing when he was the yeah. Christian magician. He just comes out, love one another. <laughs> and he's like, that's all you got to say, Michael. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. love that stuff. <laughs> I mean, for the police commissioner to be saying that instead of taking action and, and, and showing leadership again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's working. I don't know what he does. I don't... <laughs> Except resign. Hey, you know something about that? It, it's it been very evident to me in the recent weeks. I spend a lot of time on the roads, right? And I'm not going to go on about the right-hand lane of Tiger Brennan <laughs> too much, <laughs> but yeah. it's as bad as ever. Oh, Let me God, just tell you yeah, that, I'm right? Yeah, yeah. And what is really evident to me is that I see bad driving every day of monumental proportions, right? Not just the odd not indicating here or there. This is stuff that's just in any other state wouldn't be tolerated. I don't see any police on the roads. I don't see people getting picked up. I don't I don't see the patrol wagons in the city anymore like you used to see all the time. That's a good point. I told you about the cop shops are closed after four o'clock except for Palmerston. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to, you know, put panic in the streets. But if you're in Darwin and northern suburbs it it feels to me like there's not much around protecting you right now. Yeah, and and they are overstretched, and we know that. And with the COVID stuff too, right? Mm. Even already a thin wearing the thin yeah. line thinner. Um, it, it's really interesting that you bring that up, Peter. And we're going to have more stories about that and actually what's gone on. Now, a lot of these people left because of Lorna morale and stuff. Now, there's other people that Chalkers fired for, for reasons that maybe are questionable and whether or not other disciplinary things, but he seems to kind of rule by the iron fist here mm-hmm. where if you run afoul of him, don't think you're going to get another chance. He's going to show you. And, you know, he demands everybody salutes him when he walks in. Like, he's a guy who's just taking the wrong really? approach. Wow. Yeah, to this to this job he's taking the wrong approach to what he's found himself in but yeah i think there's going to be more stuff coming out about exactly how bad now remember we told you about the spikes remember the car and then they said well we got one car that guy was a criminal too (laughs) but (laughs) luckily luckily that guy was a criminal too but remember there was only two probationary officers on where there should have been somebody senior there and and so you're you're starting to see correct the cracks here of what's going on and you can't continue to lose 33 every two months 16 a month and think that that's not that 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 they're not people aren't going to see that notice it and feel that yeah that effect of that so and you've also got old mate the uh, economist that we spoke to who said this is exactly what will happen when your government is basically running out of money or has run out of money and is borrowing the first thing you see that go are services mm-hmm. and he mentioned police and he mentioned health as the top two yeah and those are still some pretty big issues right now to yeah. in yeah. the northern territory well i have to say um we're in the christmas season yep every weekend is a christmas party of some form or another yes. all over the place yes and you can drive from darwin to palmerston and not see a single RBT, correct. which I find quite surprising. Mm. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I, I've been privy to several conversations. I won't say where or who, 
but no one seems particularly concerned about drinking and driving at this point in time. Yeah, you know, like, it's like I'm thinking about this probably by this point. What's today, the 15th now? Mm. I think, like, by now they would have put out stats. They used to put out stats in the lead-up to Christmas 1 because they wrote they're doing action in 2 because it reminds people not to drink and drive. Yeah. But they have not done this at all this season to mm. date. You just, you, you just don't see police around mm. these Do days. we – does it – I mean, it's, I know Perth does this, but does Darwin do this double demerit points over the festive season? They, they did at one point, yeah. Whether or not that's continuing, I remember when the CLP was in, they did they did, did try all that for a year. People yeah. were just annoyed they brought in demerit points at all. Yes. Didn't have them for a while, <laughs> yeah. for, for ages. Yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing the effects of all Correct. of these problems yeah, here and yeah. these cops leaving. So something's got to be do, done to, to, to... And if they're not being replaced, yeah. then, yeah, th- this is why. Well, and you can't then, replace it, those numbers, yeah. because we know training's an issue. We know that the so. failure's in the training college, and we know that <laughs> the senior people aren't there to, when they get over their on-the-job stuff to train yeah, them. Yeah, so I, it's, it. it's just... So have we actually descended into a lawless Pretty state? much, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> well, yeah. We the, may have just declared it. Political class <laughs> are doing their own corrupt things. They're not worried about anything. Right? I mean, I mean, th- thank God that the Territory Story listening audience are extremely highbrow. And won't take advantage of what we've just <laughs> unveiled. <be> pitchforks and <laughs> Molotov cocktails being thrown. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, well, that kind of already is happening, now, isn't it? That's so, right. Yeah. Don't joke about reality, Chris. No. Let's move on to the next story. And uh, Parham Water workers have rejected the NT government's wage freeze ahead of further voting. Yeah, so, of course, getting back here, and I think Friday we're going to know more about the other uh, public servants who had some sort of ballot go out. They were voting on this offer. Um, of course, it's the uh, your favorite one, where wage freeze, but in exchange we'll give you the 4000 for the first year and then two, 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 yeah. so $10,000, quote-unquote, bonus. Um, we can see here now just in this little cross-section sample being uh, power and water and Chicana energy employees that they uh they rejected it with with a majority uh, i think it was 68 percent yeah 67.8 percent voted no to the offer um which the cpsu saying should deliver a strong message to the gunner government and the public employment commissioner the quote territory workers deserve a real pay rise not a dodgy taxable bonus uh, workers weren't fooled by threats and weasel words. Secretary Kay Densley said they know this offer is not a pay rise. It's a rotten deal. It's a slap in the face mm-hmm. to hardworking Territorians. Leon. Well, mate, uh, a, cu- a couple of things about that. Yeah. One, um, I believe that the Power and Water Jakarta people are on a different sort of pay scale to the other public servants. Yeah, and, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, it's a higher pay scale, but I don't know yeah. why that is. Well, they're geniuses. Man. <laughs> <laughs> they're, playing, they're playing with dangerous wires. Come on. Um, but uh, look, I spoke to a, a politician, a Labour politician on the weekend uh, at a Christmas party that I attended. He was singing your praises, was he? Um, and I was talking about the issue of, of public service wages mm. and how it's causing a lot of angst in the private sector. And his response was, well, Leon, this is a much – we're doing a much better job and this is a much uh, tougher um, proposal than what the CLP are proposing. That was wow. That was his way of justifying um, 
what's happening here? Because apparently the CLP is saying they want a 2% pay rise built in every year. And if you work mm-hmm. that out over the course of the next four or five years, then it works out to be more than what Labor have suggested with these. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I thought that they were in favor of the Langelant recommendation. Well, that's which that, was that's what he said. Raise. I thought, the, the well, I don't know who the hell knows. What Do you know what Leah's been saying about this? About this one? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I know that there was a release a while ago about this. I'll, I'll find that if you keep talking. But I, mm-hmm. like as I believe, they, they thought the wage freeze was the way to go and that there shouldn't be the, this bonus money. But I'm double checking. Hey, what about we live in the real world and we don't get a freaking bonus unless we deserve it? Mm, yeah. I mean, seriously, it, 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 we, we talk every week about the disparity between public service wages and the private sector. And uh, Leon, you got anybody in your business that's got a guaranteed pay rise built in this year? Nope. Right, and it will never happen. Now, you may give pay rises when it's deserved, but it's not automatic. And, you know, sorry for saying this, but I'm sure we could pick half the public service that don't deserve a pay rise this year. I'm sure there are some that do, but it shouldn't be automatic for everyone. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's just not living in the real world. I know, and this one, you know, remember Gunnar when he changed this, when he said he was going to take the money for this extra bonus from the sacked non-vaccinated um the thing is though right he can say all this stuff he can say it all because we have no facts and figures we have we don't know what the reality is there may be no one sacked there might be two thousand sacked but we're in this situation now where we just get fed whatever it is whatever line they want to feed us and we just have to believe it's true yeah yeah, look, I think that they went along with it, the CLP here, from what I'm trying to find. Uh, they liked the $1,000 per worker, I guess, bonus. Um, Darwin's inflation rate is the highest in the nation, which means territorians are paying more than anywhere else in the country for basics like groceries and rent. If not care, I said I'm not clear on that exactly, but... Um, yeah, I know that they weren't in favor of this 10000 this quote-unquote extra money, the savings, remember the gunner said, from sacking people? Yeah. So, uh, but look, yeah, this is just going to drag on now, and we'll get into to next year here and see what exactly happens with it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how Gunner wins this one. I don't know how anyone wins well, in this well, one, well, to that, be honest with point. you. How does yeah. anyone win? If they that, keep yeah. rejecting it and the government keep... Offering it, what happens? Oh, the government will eventually cave in, I suspect, and uh, it'll be done quietly. And But you know what? Let them go. Let them just keep doing this and just see what happens to the private sector. It, it's just going to tear this place apart. Uh, eventually, something will give. Um, mm. and when? I, 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 I don't know. I, well, it's already starting to. <laughs> yeah. It's already starting to, and it's, it's yeah. But I, look, to be, you know, to, to be fair, I think – the CEOs, are, well, at least a number of um, senior people in the public service are not a fan of this either right? because they are, they are having to fund this out of, without having any increase in budget. Right. You see? Yeah. And so there's the other pressure that's coming to bear on all of this. Yeah. They're being told, all right, well, we're going to give these pay rises or these bonuses, but we're not giving you any extra money to pay for it, so you've got to find it somewhere in the system. Yeah, which may go to yeah. the whole idea of that's why services are getting dropped. Yeah. And we know they get sacked if they don't go to budget. So, 
Well, they kind of, yeah, exactly. They kind of <laughs> gave up on that Old one. Mass. Yeah, look, I just just so I can be clear on that, Leah Fanacchiaro in one of the later stories here from last month said that she supported the $1,000 raise to public sector wages, but suggested it be salaried, a salaried increase instead of a lump sum bonus. Yeah. So basically giving them a smaller amount than what the, yes. they would be asking for. Um, yeah, and said the raise, as suggested by the Langelant report, would be complete with superannuation and leave entitlements. Yeah, yeah. so like, I don't. So I don't that, know that, that's the thing, you know. It's yeah. not like it's, it's not like the government is printing more money to uh, to do this. Yeah, as far as I understand, it is. Can the it, states and territories print money? Not yet, no. uh, but we might find our own territory dollars shortly. <laughs> I suspect you know, <laughs> to try and deal with coming this out issue. of the NT News printing press, which I think is underutilised these days. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I look. I think that the pressure is is, is on both the, the private sector and the public service. Yeah. Because uh, you know the the the, the Run of the mill public servant who's a member of the union will be quite happy with this yep. because you know, as far as they can see, they well, they don't really know where the money comes from or the, no. don't think about those things. But the the people that are managing those departments, uh, when they're getting told, well, we're not giving you any more money to do this, mm. it's not going to be great for mental health. I'll tell you right now mm. because no. because they're going to have to do the job with less people at the end of the day. So potentially there's going to be that attrition. People are going to leave and they're not going to be able to replace them because they can't afford to. Yeah. Once the um, borrowing dollars get switched off. So we'll see what happens. Interesting. Mate, uh, on a positive note. What? I don't know, I know. Don't uh, have that. Chris, did you write this article? <laughs> no, I did not write it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I will not. <laughs> Emerson Resources is a mining company in the Territory, and uh, their share price went through the roof last week. Yeah, what happened there? Yeah, well, look, one day last week went from… <laughs> Insider trading? <laughs> surely. <laughs> Seven cents a share to 19 cents there wow. in, a, in a day. Um, so, yeah, the market capitalization soaring from 34.86 million to 82.21 million in a day. Now, this is um, Emerson Resources, and uh, that was all following news of the successful drilling campaign of copper and gold at its Hermitage project in the Tennant Creek mineral field. Uh-huh. So down there, not far. Pretty cold. And a creek, yeah. And the copper, and uh, I think they had some other things in there too. So uh, Are their workers going to be able to get to Tennant Creek after Christmas? Uh, yeah, that's an excellent question. Yeah. No, no. I mean, they're, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think <laughs> they, they know be the down gold's there. there. That's the most important thing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So uh, Emerson Managing Director uh, Rob Bills had told a uh, an industry publication this week, this is the best drill hole we've had in our history in Tennant Creek. <laughs> so, yeah, there was some high-grade copper mineralization, high-grade gold, and cobalt. That was the other one. Oh, that I I'm picturing was. like a, an old bloke with massive beard and like a, a wooden pipe. <laughs> The old prospectors. Ma- <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they got uh, the old wooden uh, ladder down the hole. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah, he's been down there for 70 years, just waiting for this day, and it's finally come. <laughs> so, yeah, look, now that is some some good news that's down great there. News. And uh, let's see where that goes. But, uh, uh, yeah, they've got a lot of exploration programs, joint ventures down that area. Um, 
concern again with 100% ownership of all the exploration and mining tenements. So the managing director says, yeah, they're assessing now the potential for an additional resource at Tennant Creek by flying an ultra-high-definition drone with magnetic capabilities to look for more deposits, among other ah. steps in the area. So sounds like they're going to be there for a while. It's amazing, it. amazing drone technology these <laughs> I days. I know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I take it we're a bit late to get on Emerson Resources now, are <laughs> <don't> we? <laughs> <laughs> You, prob- you can well, probably uh, catch the put options. That yeah, might, that it, might, it went to, to 19, go. and then I think it was back down to 14, but yeah. it was still, that's still double where it was, so it was you know, doing pretty yeah. strong this week. Yeah, very cool. Well, Chris, I know this is one you've been desperate to talk about. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> the Northern Territory's greatest fish and chip shop has been announced. I heard something about this. Somebody was yeah, talking yeah. about it in the office. What's it called? And I did, Shippies? And I did have fish and chips for lunch today, I've got to say. Have either of you blokes ever had black tip shark before? No. Yeah, I had black tip shark fish Where, and chips for lunch. Where'd you get that? Down at Shippies? Uh, no. Um, Is that a place? I don't know. I, I just made that up. <laughs> it's the same old bloke, I reckon, with the pipe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd never had it before. It just tastes like fish and chips. But I thought yeah. black tip shark was pretty uh, exotic sounding. Right. Yeah, is that like shark fin soup? And, yeah, and then, you're, and then you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, no, this place was called Frying Nemo Fish and ah, Chippery. It's a fish and We know about that. They, didn't they get uh, pounced on by one of the animation companies a few years ago? Really? Did they? I think they did, yeah. But they've still kept the name. Yeah, going. yeah. I think they uh, got rid of the image of the. Maybe, yeah. yeah, who knows? yeah well, this is the Northern Territory. I think you can just tell people to bugger off. And <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Too. So took our top anyway, gong for yeah. the 2021 Northern Territory Great Australian Fish and Chip Awards. And this okay. is organised by the seafood industry of Australia. Right, so right. There we go. We got a local. <laughs> I, I was thought you were going to tell me it was organised by Frying Nemo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're number one by Nemo's mum. <laughs> they're pretty excited. Though. You got over twelve thousand votes cast. Did um, they? Yeah. So who who were the other um, entrants? Contenders? Do no, know? I don't know. It I doesn't. Think. Does it say anybody? No, yeah, it doesn't I say. If they want to put in the losers. I'm, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the fish and chips is great everywhere. Every <laughs> single place in Darwin. But I, I will I will say though I have had fish and chips from Frying Nemo. Yeah. And it was very good. Was it? It was. What made it good? The batter, the, the oil, Well, that's it. it's the, the batter really the, the, the batter is the most important yeah. ingredient in yeah. fish and chips if you don't get that right, yeah. you know. Correct. Um but uh, yeah, they did very very well. So I'm always a little skeptical when you go to a fish and chip shop and in the um front window they've got you know all natural oil no cholesterol etc etc i i always wonder whether that's um provable or not yeah I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah well this is the seafood uh was it the uh seafood industry australia so oh, yeah, they yeah, wouldn't you're, not, you're not dealing with lightweights yeah, here it'd babe. be extra virgin olive oil for sure <laughs> with those guys <laughs> Well, they're t- keeping a close eye on it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Even if it's just the setting down there, though, um, I think it's quite cool. Like, you know, but for some stupid reason, the human brain goes, well, if I'm near the water, it must, must be, be fresh. <laughs> 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 anyway. Um, yeah. So, Frying Nemo, that's the spot. Uh, and that's not a 
paid sponsorship announcement. At all, no, not at all. Yep. Hey, you know, last week we had our word of the week. I've got another one for you. Oh, oh God, the, the word of the week, remember? <laughs> it was, uh, what was it? Gruntled. Gruntled. Gruntled, yeah. Great word. I've actually used it quite a bit this way. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, people were suitably impressed. So, you know, when you say someone, you know, doesn't use particularly good language and whatever, they're uncouth? Yes. What's the opposite? Couth. Is it couth? I don't know. Because you don't hear it, just no. like you don't hear gruntled. You've been doing you've been doing some homework, have you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so what did you find? Are you gonna give no, us I don't the answer? Know. No. <laughs> you I were leave, just thinking in I, bed the other night, flying away. I leave all research like that up to Leon because <laughs> I don't like to be disproved down the track. But <laughs> I think it we, is. I think. It, I wonder. I thought it might be. Yeah. If we give him a moment's thinking time. We could read out Mick's job of the week if you like. Ah, let's hear it. And I'm uh, for this. This, uh, is, this will be Mick's job of the year. <laughs> <laughs> the last episode. I of picked the year. this out specifically because of uh, certain things that went on uh, earlier in the year, namely on the fifth floor. And mm-hmm. uh, the NT Department of Health are looking for a pharmacy operations manager. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Which I thought was a little appropriate. Um, it's <laughs> and they se- will be guarding the drugs. Correct. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a senior professional one position, and uh, it's paying one forty two k to one fifty nine k. So yeah, those pharmacies plus bonus. Well, that's a very good point. <laughs> I think there's an asterisk at the end of it. Doesn't mention it specifically yet because the pharmacist union haven't okayed it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's. Oh, hang on. Uh, the successful applicant will be eligible for relocation reimbursement of up to $4,000. That got my attention, but no, that's not the bonus. And uh, the job closes on the 3rd of June, 2020. Uh, sorry, 3rd of January. Uh, I was thinking. I honestly yeah. thought, well, you got to get the right person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so while you were doing that, I did look up Kuth, and you are absolutely correct. Oh, there you go. It means cultured, refined, and well-mannered. Mm-hmm. Well, that describes you both very well, doesn't it? <laughs> it is more couth to hold your shrimp genteely by the tail when eating. Wow. <laughs> advice. What about fish and chips? How do you eat that? Yeah, we don't <laughs> eat shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> so, well done, mate. That's another word to add to the dictionary. Uh, another word of the week. Well, boys, it's been quite a year. It has. And uh, I, for one, can say that uh, it's been great fun been some good laughs along the way there's been some um background chatter and phone calls from time to time as well which is par for the course according to what chris has told me (laughs) (laughs) police (laughs) (laughs) threats is another way of putting it and the odd letter here and there but uh, i'd say by and large it's been pretty good and uh thanks for another year chris yeah you're uh you'll you'll reach your 80s next year and uh you just sort of got to Play it in ones and twos till you get to the nervous 90s, and then you'll hit a ton at some point next year. Well, and, you know, I still wouldn't rule out a, another, like, big scandal in the new year. Or of course not. So we might have to do of a couple not. more There's a week at that point. You just send out know. the bat signal and we'll come, all right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I will. But, look, no, I want to – and I want to thank you guys for – um for for having me on here and when i'm not around when you have david wood on and and for all of your support you guys with the anti-independent and i know we're still at in that kind of struggle uh, with the government who 
acknowledge us and let us in to ask questions. And I think every time we do this is more of a reason why they won't because they hear <laughs> the questions that I'll be asking. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to do that. But of course we know that what they're doing is completely wrong and against any democratic principles that, 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 that Australians hold sacred. And, um, yeah, so we appreciate your guys' support as we continue to fight that. And we still do continue to fight that and try and get in. Um, so, yeah, and I know that it has been, uh, there have been some laughs and some tears and, mm. Uh, mm. like I said, threats and uh, all kinds of other stuff. But thanks for coming on this this uh, voyage with us here at the Andy Independent. It's, mm. been, it's been good. And I think it's been important to get these stories kind of behind the stories, like I always said, out to people so they get how the whole process works, how journalism's yeah. work. And I think, I, I hope I'm providing more of an insight into how we go about doing what we do mm. and, um, and holding the government accountable and exposing those things that, that they're just not getting anywhere else. So thank you to you guys for, for giving us that platform to do that as well. Yeah. And I, I think, um, it's not lost on me that it probably helped us a couple of times that the government don't acknowledge the NT independence. They know what's going on. They, they hear it from people all the time. So Yeah. yeah look, it's, look, Chris, one thing I've learned from all of this is it's, it's not easy to do what you do. You know, it's not easy at all. It's, it's really, really tough. And I, you know, I really admire your courage and I admire your tenacity. I have never met any journalist like you. That is without question. Uh, and sometimes you take us on journeys that I find frightening. And uh, <laughs> quite frankly, you know, um, I try and hang on. Uh, and, uh, you know, Pete tries to hang on, I think, as well. But, uh, look, I think it's important to have these conversations, you know. Uh, as we've said on previous podcasts, we're not out here to get people. We're not out here to make people, um, you know, feel bad. Uh, we, it's, it's just – it's about accountability and transparency, and it's about having open and honest conversations. And sometimes, you know, we get it wrong. I mean – that's, that's what democracy is all about here, yeah, and I think correct. that's what this is celebrating here. And that we, I think we, that's a really valid point, though, because – Look, we do have a laugh sometimes, and we probably have a laugh at the expense of some of the characters that we talk about, but there's certainly – we don't know these people. Mm. There's no malice intended. We don't seek for anybody's ill health. But, you know, like you said, Chris, if there's stuff going on that shouldn't be inadvertently or on purpose, it needs to be fixed. You mm. can't have that. And it's also important, too, because, you know, let's face the facts. I mean, uh, the other news outlets in town don't seem to be telling the same stories. Mm. And that that's a bit of a concern as a, as a consumer of news. Um, you know, we're not suggesting for one minute that everybody needs to follow the same stories and, and, and all that type of thing. But when you're raising issues like you've raised, for example, on this podcast about procurement, I mean, I don't know. I mean, are the other newspapers uh, or the other news outlets actually, <laughs> are they reporting on any of this, Chris? Mm, I think they might have ran a, a brief story today based on the CLP put out a press release today oh, okay. about this after. Okay. But but that was only, I think, NT News maybe. Yeah, look, we're, yeah, and we just know that's going to happen and we just got to keep going. So mm. that's what we'll do. It's and I reckon shout do. out to Robin Lamley as well. Yeah. I, I like her uh, approach and her direct, you know, attitude with everything. Well, you know, to go back to that story about the conversation I was having with one of the uh, members of, of the Labor Party, they I, and I said, I said, you know, they said, well, who's doing a good job? I said, well, how about Robin Lamley? Mm. And, you know, the 
the comments that came afterwards about, you know, Robin, you know, not really being uh, all there and all that sort of stuff, I thought, wow. Yeah, Labour really does not like her, but I think that's uh, credit to her. I think she really found a way to get under their skin. You know, they had, like, their social media people doing up these nasty memes and stuff that they got in trouble for a couple of years ago, and it's like, why are you going after Lamley this much? But it's clear that they view her as a threat, and they are concerned about her, and she scores a lot of points in there. She's a seasoned politician. She knows how to debate yeah. in the House, and uh, and she doesn't give up either, and, and that's why they took away her resources, remember, mm -hmm. right? Like, she gets next to nothing yeah. now in terms of researchers or things like that, but also I think one of the most disgusting things that they did this year was well the end of last year was take away well she only gets the independents only get one question each yes, per week yes, yes that's and, no good no stifling question time yeah, yeah and then it's because of that because they knew that lamley was doing a lot of stuff even in the last term when she was an independent too mm. she was scoring a lot of points against them and holding them accountable and i don't mm. like that as we know so. something also that i think is is worth noting and it goes along the lines of what you just said, Leon. When you're in something, right, and I used to find this in in the, the radio business, when you're inside this little world doing what you're doing, you think it's all important, you think it's fantastic. It's not until you get outside that bubble and start absorbing the outside world that you may realise, if you have that type of personality, oh, hang on, it's not exactly what we thought. And there's probably every chance in the world that there's members of the government, members of the opposition, who all think they're doing a wonderful job. Mm. And, you know, it's not a criticism of them. It's just because that's the world they're living in. Well, they do say that the fifth floor is a bubble. So, mm. you know, I don't know. Oh, I've, never, yeah. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun to me. It's a maze. Uh, Literally and figuratively, <laughs> there. but uh, but yeah. Look, we're, we'll be we'll be reporting a lot more stuff in the new year uh, along these same lines, and you know, um, and 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 showing exactly how they're running things and stuff because I think there's a lot more to reveal here, and mm. they haven't been able to stop us yet, and they're not going to stop us anytime soon. So we're going to keep going. And thanks mm. a lot, guys, for your support again. I do appreciate it. Yep. No worries, Chris. Have a good Christmas and a and a safe new year. <laughs> you too, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Leon, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you for 2021. And uh, we'll soldier on next year. We will. Thank you to all our listeners. Uh, really appreciate it. The feedback, positive, negative, and in between. Uh, we'll catch you again next year on the Territory Story podcast. This has been the weekend edition of Weekends with Walshy. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.